So Pastor Mo uh, asked me if I would share a little bit on worship. And um, some of the things that I'm going to talk about tonight, you may have heard before, but um, I kind of like whenever I I talk about things that I know may be kind of... um, going back over again or, or refreshing something for us. I'm always reminded in the New Testament where, uh, where, the, where the great apostle said, let me, let me stir you up by way of reminder. Amen? So, uh, so we're just going to dig into the word a little bit tonight, and we're just going to talk a little bit about worship. And if I could say it this way, um, if we want to title it or something, uh, the effects of worship. If we could almost look at it like taking it in as if it was like uh, uh, drinking something or taking a medicine or something like that. The effects that come upon us whenever we take in worship, whenever we participate in worship, whenever we let worship become a part of us, um, what the effects of worship and true worship, worship to God have in our life. Oh, my Valentine's here. Hey, baby. Hi. All right. Sorry, I just had to give that little shout out. She's here tonight with me and, uh, you know, so... Uh, I know I can't sit by you and, and hold your hand, you know, while we do church worship, but I'm, I'm holding, I'm holding your hand in spirit. Okay. Y'all say, oh, oh, thanks for doing that with me. All right. Anyway, so let's jump into this tonight. Okay. So if we go in the word of God to the book of John chapter four, and I'm going to start saying it. Most of you are probably going to remember it. This is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Okay. So Jesus comes and he is gone ahead of his disciples and he comes to this woman and he's talking with her. This is a Samaritan woman at the well. And, um, you know, for those of you who know the history, uh, Jews and Samaritans did not get along very well. So just the fact, first of all, that Jesus is just talking to this Samaritan woman is just scandalous, right? Just in, in, in any way, shape or form. The fact that a, that a Jewish man is talking to a Samaritan was already like, you know, if his disciples, I can only imagine seeing him from a ways off, like, man, Jesus, what are you doing, man? Come on, man. We got like this reputation. People are, are learning about you and people are talking about you. You don't want people talking bad about you. It was already there. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't mind making a little ruckus to prove what he was here to do? And that was bring the truth of who he was. So he starts reading this woman's mail, right? If you know the story and the account, you know, he begins to say, hey, let me talk to your husband. And the woman goes, "Uh, actually, sir, I don't have a husband. He goes, you know what? You're absolutely true. That's absolutely a true statement that you just made. As a matter of fact, you don't have a husband. The man you're living with right now is not your husband. And you've had multiple husbands beforehand. And then I love what she says. She goes, I perceive you are a prophet. Kind of Captain obvious sing it right there, you know. Uh, man, I, I think you're a prophet. Well, he goes, as a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and talk to you right now. And they start talking about worship. And so she starts talking about how um, the, the different aspects of worship and how, uh, you know, the Samaritans claim that the place where we worship is here and the Jews say that we worship here. And so what happens is jumping in, uh, coming in on, we're actually, we'll come in on verse 23, all right? Um, actually, you know what? Let's start at verse 22. He says, you Samaritans know, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, says you t- Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in. Very good. Spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him. And then the, the kind of capstone verse for tonight. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's bow our heads real quick. Lord God, we thank you for the time of worship. Thank you, Lord, for receiving our worship from you, God. And as we continue to delve into your word tonight, that you would just teach us even more tonight, God, about what it means to truly worship you. Have your way in this time. 
time. Speak to our hearts, and it's in your name we pray. And again, in the name of Jesus, we all said, amen. All right, so let's look to that, okay? So the Father is spirit. The Father is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what Jesus was telling her was, he goes, you know, you Samaritans, you know, you claim that you worship, and you're talking about, you know, you want to worship here, and you're, you know, we're talking about rules and regulations, and oh, you have to worship at this point, or you have to worship here. You, you, you have very little relationship with who you talk about worshiping. It's kind of what Jesus was leading into with that, okay? He goes, but, but you know what? As a matter of fact, let's just cut through all of that, and let's just say there's a time that's coming. No, 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 actually, you know what? It's here right now. It's here right now. We're true worshipers. Because we know that Jesus was paving the way for Jews and Gentiles to be able to receive the salvation. Not just the Jews, but also Gentile believers. So he was saying, he's setting it up when true worshipers will worship the Father not only in spirit, but in truth. This is the God is, uh, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So let's look at that word, worship, okay? So if we break that down in the original meaning of the text there, in its original language, one of the definitions is to fawn or crouch, to literally or figuratively prostrate oneself in homage. Meaning, an homage there, meaning do reverence, to adore, So basically what we can say here, worship is an act by that word and by its definition there in that context means literally to prostrate yourself before someone in honor or reference to them. And prostrate means literally to lay yourself low. So we can say here to worship in its basis definition to worship something, to worship someone is to make yourself as low as possible in honor of that person, okay? So, we must, so, so what Jesus is saying here is God is spirit, and those who worship him, those who make themselves low, those who are making themselves low to reverence and to honor him must not only do that in spirit, but also in truth. And so what we can take from there, truth meaning, if we look at it there, it's just saying God is a spirit being, right? And we know this. We know this. We, 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 in faith, believe this, that God resides. He's in heaven, yet Jesus sending his son here through the whole, the promised Holy Spirit now resides within us. And we know that God is spirit. And so he's able to be with us all at once. And if we, you know, get off on, on that subject, which is a whole another teaching in and all of itself. But he said God is spirit and God resides all around us. And so we have to worship him not only with our spirit whenever we pray, whenever we interact and do spirit, but also in truth. And does anybody maybe just have a, a, a thought? Yeah, I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but, but kind of in truth, maybe if we talk about spirit, we can also say truth meaning, uh, what, what would be another way to say that, worshiping God in truth? Anybody? I don't put anybody on the spot. We're teaching it. You know, anybody got anything they want to add to that about truth? We can say in spirit and in the natural. Okay, because right here, we're standing here tonight, okay? I'm standing here. My wife is sitting here. We're all sitting here. We can see each other. That's true, right? That's truth, right? Sister Garland, you're not a figment of my imagination. Everybody else can see you, right? Okay, you are tr- sitting right here. You are truth, okay? Okay, but many of us, obviously, we know that we have loved ones that have gone on to glory, and they are now in their spirit bodies. They are with the Lord, yet we can't see them, right? 
We know it. We have faith. We believe that they are there, yet we don't have the full truth of that yet. We are operating in faith, okay? But yet, those of us who are here right now, it's true, okay? Not to say that, okay, I think you guys get what I'm saying, okay? So they are there, and we have that spirit, and we operate and worship the faith in God, our spirit, but yet also we need to do it in truth, where we worship God here, right here, where we can see in the nuts and bolts of everyday life, in the truth, we must humble ourselves to worship God, okay? So let's put it this way. We must humble ourselves to give him the honor. And we said that just in the worship a few minutes ago. We, we do this to give God his honor, not just with our hearts and with our desires, but also with our entire lives in, our, in, in truth, the truth of who we are. So I have four things, okay? I have four points, if we can say it. When we participate in worship, when we, when we engage in worship, whenever we are a part of it, effects uh, that happen to us. The first effect is this. Did you know that whenever you engage in worship, you become attractive to the Father? I kind of like the idea of that, you know? When I was pursuing my wife, and, you know, I don't do it as much now because I put a ring on her finger, and, you know, I don't have, I'm kidding, no, I've said. There are still days I want to look so great for you, baby. I, I love you so much, all right? But we know that whenever we were pursuing our spouse, whenever we were going after them back in those times, we wanted to, well, we wanted to look attractive to them. I, when I was dating Sarah, I wanted, when, whenever we went on a date, whenever I was, you know, kind of getting her before we actually became official, I always wanted, I knew she was going to be somewhere. I wanted to look my best. Why? Because I wanted to be attracted. I wanted to be attractive to her because I liked her, and I wanted my presence, the way I presented myself, the way that I looked, to cause her to be attracted to me. And so whenever we humble ourselves, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing about the kingdom of God. It's foolishness to the world. Amen? We sing about the old rugged cross. I mean, it's, it's the cross is foolishness to the world. Okay? It is absolutely foolish. How in the world are you going to save the entire world by killing yourself? That's just foolishness to me. But the Word of God says He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. God's wisdom is so incredibly beyond what we can even think. That's why it just looks like foolishness to us. So whenever we put ourselves in the dirt, basically, when we just drop ourselves to the ground, and how many of you realize when you get low, when you get on the ground, you know, you, you might get dirty. You might get messed up. It might get a little messy. But when you do that, you actually make yourself attractive to the Father. Let me prove it to you. John 4, 23, from the scriptures that we just read, it says, The Father is seeking those who will worship him like that. In other words, whenever I knew Sarah was going to be somewhere, I was seeking her. Because she was attractive to me. And I was seeking her out. I wanted to look for her. I wanted to, whenever we'd go somewhere and I knew she was there, I, you know, I'd kind of kick it with my friends, you know, and I'd get there, hey, how we doing? Ah, oh, it's all cool, man. Hey, well, where's Sarah? Where's Sarah? Oh, there she is. I was seeking her out. She was attractive to me and I was seeking her. She had become attractive to me. And when we humble ourselves, we become attractive to the Father. Isn't that a cool thought to know that we can actually make ourselves where God goes, oh, man, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Oh, man, where's Sarah? 
Where's Sarah? Man, I know she's always, man, she's all, oh, there she is. On the, man, there's nothing more attractive to me than somebody who is humbling themselves to worship me. Humbling themselves to worship me. We become attractive to the Father. And so whenever we engage in a relationship, because whenever attraction, you know, the whole point of attraction is to bring two things together, okay, like magnets. And so eventually, if the attraction's strong enough, those things come together, right? And then something is created. Something is made. Two things become, and they make a, a new thing. And so... When we begin to engage in worship and we become attractive to the Father, this ultimately produces a deeper relationship. Amen? Whenever we got to know our husband or we got to know our wife whenever we were dating them or after we got married to them, we began to know them in a deeper way and a deeper relationship was produced. And so we see that we become, as we said, when we become attracted to the Father, that means God's seeking those kind of worshipers. In James 4, if you want to turn there, in uh, the book of James chapter 4, verse 4, excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 5, he says, what do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy, okay? As a matter of fact, let me, um, let me jump, to, jump to the King James Version on there. This is the cool thing about having a Bible app. You can bounce a couple of different translations. It says, or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he does what? Gives grace. The word there is gives. He gives grace to the humble. He does what to the proud? He resists the proud. Yeah, I, I know. Some, Sarah's like, ah, you know, sometimes she's like, ah, you got, you got, you're asking too many people to talk with you. But hey, y'all, y'all mind if we just kind of talk a little bit back and forth tonight? Is that cool? All right. So the scriptures say it right here. Verse 5 starts with it. It says, do you think the scriptures say in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? In other words, we have this natural pull to want to wanna puff ourselves up. And it says that God is a jealous God. He will have no rival. He will have no other, he, in, with, his, with someone he's in relationship with, God will not suffer to be second place. God will not even suffer to be 1A. He's number one. So anything, and that includes us. You know, because there's some people who ain't in love with nobody but themselves. Right? And so it says very clearly, it says that he gives us more grace to resist those, that, that sin nature and that flesh nature that's within us to want to go after all kinds of other loves and even to puff ourselves up and to want to pride and, and be boastful. It says God resists those things. He, resi- he literally resists them. He literally resists pride. He has absolutely no flavor in his spiritual palate whatsoever for pride. So much so that the worship leader of all of heaven that was given over to an absolute sense of pride got himself kicked out of heaven. God has no time. He has no patience. He has no taste whatsoever for pride. But he gives to the humble. And we look and we see that definition there. There is nothing more humiliating than having someone push you down. But when we do it ourselves and we choose to, that is an act of worship. And so when we realize that whenever we do that, we actually find ourselves in a place where God is attracted to us and begins to give things to us. And when we show humility, we worship him and we give, in essence, we give ourselves away and we make him the most important thing. 
Because when I'm taking myself and I'm making myself as low as possible to homage someone, to reverence someone, to worship, that means I want to get myself as low as possible so the person that I'm worshiping is what? The most important thing. I want to make God the most important thing in my life. Am I always successful at it? Oh my goodness, no. I fail daily. There are so many things that I allow to take the place of God. And whenever I, 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 and whenever I get into a time of prayer or if I give myself five minutes to actually just be in the presence of God, Holy Spirit convicts, I realize what's going on, I repent of it, and we push on because God wants to continue to mold us and shape us because we know that there's none perfect, right? None of us are perfect. But what the enemy wants to try and do is he wants to make us keep our eyes because, look, if we are absolutely low, our eyes literally cannot look anywhere else, Right? But the devil will even try and take us, even while we're trying to be low. Because look, just imagine it this way, okay, if you can see me. You know, if I'm kind of like this and I'm only halfway low, right? If I'm only halfway low, I can still kind of look around, you know? And the devil so many times will try and make us look at that. And some of the things that we can look at while we're here is our own sins and our own shortcomings. And the devil can even, can you just imagine just kind of this, this act in the spirit? Look how stupid you look, Tommy. I mean, you look like you're squatting to do something. I mean, look, man, you're so dumb. I mean, can you just, look, man, you, you, you know what? You ought to be on the ground because you're worthless, you're nothing, you did this. You, and when's the last time you spent any time with God, man? You're absolutely stupid, absolutely worthless. You need to just give up. That's what the enemy of our soul constantly does, amen? Because he wants to twist and pervert everything that God does. The reason that God chooses to respond to humility is because when we do it, it's our choice. See, the devil wants to twist humility and do this false humility, and he wants to like literally push us and make us subservient. But whenever God sees that we have done it willingly in reverence to him, he responds to that. And whenever we give ourselves away, we make him the most important thing. So the first effect is we become attractive to the Father. We put ourselves in a position where God desires to be with us. He doesn't resist us. He desires us. And I think that is absolutely amazing. The second effect of participating in worship is we develop clearer vision. How many of you wear glasses? How many of you wish you could have more clear vision? Ah, yes, amen, okay? So let's check this out. Let's go back to John, okay? We were in John chapter 4 when we started. Now we're going to go to John chapter 3, all right? And we're going to read this account. It's John chapter 3 starting at verse 25. All right, let's go. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John, meaning John's disciples, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, talking about Jesus, the the guy that you baptized, okay? All right. Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. So let's just talk about this real quick. There was a dispute about purification, okay? Some, some, you know, talk about different purification rites amongst Jewish rites, okay? And so John, because we know that John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus Christ, okay? He went out proclaiming the good news. So John, great guy, okay? There's nothing bad about John the Baptist, all right? But what happened was John's disciples who were following him all of a sudden began to catch wind that, you know, hey, John. This guy, Jesus, that you baptized a few weeks ago, you know, remember that guy? And then the whole cloud thing, and there was this voice that was all crazy, and, and the guy, Jesus, you know, he's got disciples now, and people are starting to go to him instead of coming to you. What's up with that? And so here was John's response, okay? Verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing 
unless it has been given to him from heaven. Meaning, guys, the only reason I have any notoriety at all at this exact moment is because I'm preaching the word of heaven. Okay? So I'm no big thing, okay? I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. If anything, John's kind of rebuking his disciples right now. Guys, hey, come, come here, come here, come here. You remember whenever I said I wasn't the Christ? Yeah, yeah, we remember that. And you thought that was great, right? I said, I've come before Christ. I've been sent before him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, guess what? He's here now. Lighten up. That's the guy you need to be following. Everybody following this? What was John doing there? John was worshiping Jesus. He was making himself low. Okay? He's, and I love this right here. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. Meaning, okay, there's a bride and there's a bridegroom. Okay? But the friend of the bridegroom, or we could even say the, the best man, right, who stands and, and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. What is John saying? Man, guys, listen. Look, I, I love the fact that you guys came over here and, you know, you, you, you're trying to make, you know, you're trying to, to, to stand by me and people are starting to follow Jesus now and all this. And, and, and you think, look, let me tell you something. I'm just happy to be the best man standing next to the bridegroom. I'm just happy to be the guy who gets to watch the, 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 the bridegroom come and, and, and be joined together. It's a joyful thing. And what's happening now is making my joy fulfilled. The word that I've been proclaiming and been preaching, it's coming to pass. I'm literally getting to watch this happen with my own eyes, guys. It's not about me. It's never been about me. It's always been about the Jesus that I'm talking about. Verse 30. Check this out, guys. Oh, my goodness. He must increase. But I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. This is an incredible picture. What was John doing right now? He was helping his disciples have clearer vision. Their vision was clouded by what? By loyalty to John. Man, we've been running with you, John, and we don't know how long. We don't know how long these have been his disciples. Maybe they've been with him ever since he came out of the desert wearing the, you know, wearing the skins and, and eating the locusts. You know what I'm saying? They might have been with him from the beginning, and these guys just couldn't believe that somebody was nosing in on John's territory. But what was happening? The very thing that John had been preaching about was beginning to be fulfilled, and his disciples were having a hard time seeing it. So John, in an act of putting himself low, literally, where we get this concept of humility, he must increase and I must decrease, comes right here from these words of the word of God, right here. When we fully worship, we see and we realize not only how much reason we have to love him, but how much we need him. John was just someone who was sharing the good news. He was sharing the good news, the gospel. Jesus was literally the incarnate good news, and, his, and John's disciples couldn't even see it. Guys, let me kind of clear away some of the cobwebs from your eyes. You love the message that I've been preaching? Yes. Well, you need to follow that guy because he is the literal embodiment of what I've been preaching. 
Let me clear things up for you. Let me give you some clear vision, okay? Let me make you more attractive to the Father and give you some clear vision. I'm going to make myself low. Look, John the Baptist Ministries is about to start taking a back seat to Jesus Christ Ministries, okay? There's a new ministry in town. There's a, there's a new podcast you need to follow. There's a new set of books or however you want to say it. You know, what, we, what we've come to know here in this day and age of how the gospel is, is, is presented, okay? You don't need to be reading my stuff anymore. You need to go, you need to go drink in everything this man says. You need to follow him because he is literally the guy that I've been paving the way for. I got to decrease and this man must increase because he's the whole embodiment of the gospel. So think about it this way. When we're low, the only place we have to look is up, right? When you are absolutely at your lowest, the only place, I mean, you can't look any lower. You can only look up. You know, my father, for those of you who don't know, my father's a pastor in the uh, Youngsville Lafayette area, been a minister 30 plus years. He got saved when I was four years old and um, pretty much went full, full 100%, uh, 60 miles an hour, you know, from zero to 60 in, two, in 0.2 seconds, and he's been like that ever since, right? But whenever God got a hold of my dad, at that point, he was pretty much an agnostic, and he was raised. Uh, he was raised in church, and he was raised Catholic. And and uh, but but by the time God got a hold of him, he was pretty much agnostic, and he just didn't. He didn't believe in anything. He just didn't care. And my dad has said many times that, you know, he would, he would drive by, you know, not just Catholic churches, but he would drive by churches and he would look at stained glass windows. And in his heart, he was, had such a contempt for the things of God that he would literally want to take rocks and throw. Uh, he wanted to knock, you know, the stained glass out of stained glass windows. And he had such a contempt for the things of God. People would try to witness them and he would just cuss them out and he would rip them up down, up one side and down the other. And, and he always tells a story, and he always, my dad's so tenderhearted, God completely changed him. And he's, you know, we, Sarah and I, you know, obviously she grew up in the, the church that my dad pastors. And, um, and so though a lot of us, you know, who have been in his ministry for a long time, we, we laugh at how much he cries. But, but the thing is, God has made him so tenderhearted to the things of God. And he said that for months for months after, because I was just four years old. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't really following all this whenever you know, my family first came to know the Lord, that he cried for months. He literally cried for months after he came to know the Lord because he began to see what, not so much that, you know, yes, it was probably the, partly the enemy trying to pull him away from God because he said he just thought of the person that he had been. He, he kept thinking of all the things and how much hatred he had and how he would want to bust out windows and how he would cuss out people that had, had been sent by God to bring the good news to him. And he would think about those things and he would just weep. He would weep because of his hardness of heart and where he had been. But what happened was he would, he would change in that and it was a cry of gratitude. It was a cry of gratitude because he was like, God, you, you, you did so much. You did so much. You brought so much my way to get me to you. And he realized the absolute gravity of his, of his walk with God. And my dad has kept himself low all these years. He's always been one of the most humble men I know when it comes to the things of God and, and worshiping God. Because it's just from a heart of gratitude. He, he, he could clearly see what God had done in his life and what he had saved him from. So when we have a clearer vision, when we worship and we get that clearer vision, we grow in gratitude, 
right? When we see what God has saved us from, the person we were, the things that we could have been, the things we could have done, our gratitude just grows and grows. And we begin to see more and more of the Lord. It's just like a natural course of, of things in a relationship. The more time I spend with that person, the more of them I see. The more I grow in my knowledge of them. And I have a deeper appreciation for them. I have a deeper sense of knowledge. And so what that produces is the next side effect, the third side effect, or effect I should say, would be we gain a holy confidence. So we become attractive to the Lord. We gain a clearer sense of vision of him. We begin to get to see more clearly. And then the third thing is we gain a holy confidence. You know, whenever Sarah agreed to be my girlfriend, I now had a confidence in our relationship. That's right, because there were a few guys that were chasing after my girl, and she chose me. So I had some confidence I had some, now, now, I will say this. I was a knucklehead that drug her around for a whole lot of years. One, if you want to ask her about that. I had to, God, had to, God had to knock me around the head a few times, and a poor thing, I drug her through the ringer for a little while. But God ultimately got my head screwed on right, and we are now married, and it's awesome, and I love her so much, and I'm so grateful that she didn't give up on me. And if anything, not an arrogant confidence. It makes me kind of humble because I'm like, I'm so stupid, I almost could have lost her. But I'm grateful that my God had enough confidence in me and enough confidence in Sarah for her to trust in the word that God had spoken to her to hold on because she had gotten close to the Lord through all this time where I had been stupid and idiotic and her confidence in the Lord had grown. Okay, And so when we get closer to the Lord, when we worship him, when we prostrate ourselves, when we continue to make him the number one thing, when we worship him, whether we worship him in song, whether we worship him in our prayer time, whether we worship him by giving somebody something that maybe somebody needed in the checkout line because we know God told us to, whenever we make ourselves low in order to raise up the character of God, we gain a holy confidence. I love this psalm. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm just going to read it to you. In the book of Psalms, um, 121. It's a quick one, and I'll just read it out. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord. I don't look to the high things of this earth. I look to the high thing of all creation. I look even higher than what this world says I has to. See, that's, again, that's, that's the enemy. You know, well, just look to the, if you want to look up high, then let's just look to some exalted things. No, God says you look to him. My help comes from the Lord, the one who made those mountains, the one who made the things that you think are going to get me out of all of this. God made it all. So I'm going to look to the one who made it, okay? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun, uh, the sun, the sun shall not strike you by day. A lot of S's right there. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Can somebody say amen? That is an absolute promise. 66 books full of all kinds of incredible promises, and that is one. If you want to take just one and type it out and stick it on your refrigerator when you're having a bad day, that's a great one. 
You're having a really bad day. You know what? Sometimes we want to raise ourselves up on those bad days and go, you know what, God? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of the king. I'm supposed, my days are supposed to be better than this, right, Sister Garland? I thought I was supposed to be all sunshine and roses, and I'm having all kinds of problems because even King David, the one who wrote the majority of Psalms, who penned these beautiful proclamations to the Lord, also had these other Psalms where he's like, God, you know what? I really don't get it why the wicked are, you know, they're, they're really succeeding right now, God. And I just really, you know, in other words, sometimes David was like, God, I don't think it's really fair right now that the wicked are prospering. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever read in the book of Psalms? The same man who wrote this incredible promise that we can right now grab a hold to, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we now read and can look, the same writer had these also moments where he's like, you know what, God, I just really don't think you're being very fair right now. And we can go through that and we can look. The one, if, if, if I had to name one, one character from the Word of God that in my mind, you know, a, a human being out of the Word of God that personifies worship best, it's King David. Even King David had his moments where God had to kind of knock him down a little bit. And, and the good thing about David was whenever David was shown some of the stuff, David chose to prostrate himself. I've only got a couple minutes left. That's a whole other thing. I, the, the story of King David and keeping himself low, it just applies to this so much. But, but if we look at this right now, this song, it's actually called a psalm of ascents, meaning what? It's going up. We're going up. Whenever we're low, God takes us up. When we don't try to exalt ourselves, if we're having, you know, sometimes it's, it's just maybe the worst day of our lives. Maybe sometimes it's just the worst situation we're going through. It, it, we might perceive it that way, right? It may be the worst day ever. And then whenever we get through it, we look back on it, we're like, man, that really wasn't so bad. I don't know what I got all upset about that for. You know, but when we trust in God, we can have those moments quicker rather than going through the dirge of travail and, oh, God, is this ever going to end? For the sake of time, let me just give you this really quick thing because um, I had in my notes a testimonial. And I didn't actually say what the testimonial was. It says the effects of worship in action. If I asked each one of us for time, if there was a time in your life where you let worship raise you up out of a pit, I'm sure we would all have a testimony. I'll never forget years ago I was working at a church and... Um, you know, I was, you know, I was early 20s, so I had been on my own for a few years, but was still kind of, you know, learning the ropes of life, right? And uh, when I had left my dad's church the first time, they, you know, I had left to move out of town, and so they took up an offering for me, okay? And since it was, you know, you know we're, we're heading into tax time right now, just get air out my business a little bit real quick. Since it was over $600, I had to get, for those of you who know, at the end of the next year, I got a 1099, Okay, because, you know, if you know it's over $600 an offering, yada, 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 you have to follow this. So I didn't obviously have a whole lot of jobs, so I got my W-2, filed my taxes, did it real quick, and, you know, already got my refund. Well, I did it so fast when things were over with, you know, the, the accounting office at my dad's church hadn't sent it to me yet. So I get this thing in the mail, and I call my dad, and I'm like, Dad, what is this? And he goes, oh, that must have been from your offering last year. And I said, well, what do I do? What, I mean, I've already filed my taxes. I've already, he goes... He goes, well, Tommy, you, you really should refile. You really need to claim that, you know. And, uh, you know, he goes, you know, my dad's given me wise counsel. He did say, he goes, you know, for the most part, it's a, it's a pretty small amount. It's probably not going to be noticed. So if you, I mean, it's up to you. He goes, but, you know, you probably ought to refile. Well, I didn't. And three years later, I'm working at this church, and I get this nice little letter from the IRS 
that has gone back and found this 1099 that I didn't claim. And thank God they didn't slap me with a penalty, but they adjusted my return for that year, and I owed them a balance. And I'm an early 20s guy at this point, and I didn't have that. And, you know, look, I hadn't tried to do anything dishonest. I wasn't trying to cheat the government. I was just, I didn't know at the time I'd already done it, and I didn't know how to refile, and it was going to be a lot of, you know, I should have. But basically what ended up happening was I put myself in a bad spot. You know, it wasn't a ton of money, obviously. Again, you look back, I look back now, and I'm like, man, I wish I had bills that are bigger than what it was back then, you know? But at that time, it was like, oh, my goodness. And I remember calling my mom going, Mom, I can't believe I got a letter from the IRS. And I'm just whining, 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 right? You know? And, and she's like, well, Tommy, you know, I was like, Mom, I don't have it. I don't, I mean, they, and I don't have it. I just don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And and I remember catching myself. I was like, okay, I just got to go. I got to go. And the church that I was working at had this really large sanctuary with uh, this theater-style seating, okay, with, uh, you know, um, with rows that went up and they were built. So, obviously, underneath all of that, kind of like we have here at the church, there was storage, right, underneath those bleacher-style seating areas. So, I went into one of those rooms and I just shut the door and, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I just prayed, okay? And I remember being like, God... This is my fault. I did this. I should have listened to my dad. I should have done what he said. You know what? God, I don't have it, but you know what? I just, I'm just not going to stress about this. I'm not going to worry about this right now. I'm just going to give this to you, and I'm going to trust, Lord, that, that you're going to help me take care of this because it's my fault, and I'm going to have to handle it. And would you know, less than 30 minutes later, the uh, pastor's administrative secretary came into my office and said, because at this point I had been there one year, and she said, hey, Tommy, here's your bonus check. Now, you can say, well, you'd have gotten that check anyway. But can you look at the timing? Can you look at the timing? And the check was more than enough to cover the adjusted return. And, I, <laughs> and then I called my mom back, crying again. God, mom, God's so faithful. And I went in and I prayed and I told him that I wasn't going to be upset. And you know, just, just God proving out his faithfulness. When we prostrate ourselves and brag on God, he responds. He responds. So let me give you this last one here, okay? Because um, I have another scripture verse, but it, you know what? Ah, let's go to it because it's too good. The word of God is so good. I'm just going to go ahead and read it real quick. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses, actually it's the last three verses of the book of Habakkuk. It says... Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. There we go. All right. See, stringed instruments are good. It's biblical. So what's going on there? Because if you read the, the rest of the book of Habakkuk, you know, it's, it's not all sunshine and roses in the book of Habakkuk. But what does it end on? No matter what happens, good or bad, I will praise the Lord. He will cause me to mount up like a deer. To be like a deer that dwells on high places. That's what my God will do for me. No matter what, I'm going to choose to believe the best in my God. 
And when we do that, it may take a little past our timetable, but God will respond and God will take us through what is going on. Amen? Because we gain a holy confidence. That's what is written there in Habakkuk. That is from a confident Because in the previous chapters in Habakkuk, it's talking about stuff going on, like stuff going down, like not good, like bondage and and slavery and, and God's people being, you know, it's not good. But it's ending in a holy confidence. You know what? No matter what happens, I will praise God because he's been too good to me not to praise him. He's been too good to me not to. I will rest in that confidence. Though everything looks pretty dark right now, everything looks pretty bad. Truthfully, looks pretty bad, but you know what? I'm going to keep myself low. I'm not going to puff myself up and try and fix it in my own strength or puff myself up in my own arrogance. I'm going to keep myself low, and I'm going to keep my confidence and keep God raised, and he will respond to that. And here's the last thing, the effect of taking in worship. If you can look at it like a medicine, okay? When you take this with water or when you take this with food, this happens. If you can say it this way, when worship is taken with adversity... It can confuse and defeat your enemies. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Okay. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21 talks about this. I'll read it to you. It says, it's talking about uh, when they were going out to war, okay? It says, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moan stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Just look at that. The army of God was going out against its enemies. And what happened was the king sent the worshipers first. We're going to worship. We're going to declare the mighty acts of God in song before we send the folks who are going out with swords to do business. We're going to do business with God first. We're going to brag on our God because he's on our side, not on their side. And when that began to happen, they got confused, the enemies, and started to defeat themselves. Why? There was confusion. Confusion. Utter confusion. All right? I won't read it for the sake of time because we're about to, we need to wrap up here. But in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 22 through 35, it's the story of Paul and Silas. Okay, Paul and Silas, some of you may know it, had just been brutally beaten for preaching the gospel, thrown in jail, meaning, look, and this wasn't exactly like no, you know, okay, you know, they're not sitting here on a, on a nice little, you know, concrete slab, cleaner thing. They're thrown in the darkest parts of the dungeon, set in chains. They'd been beaten. They were bruised. Okay, this was not a good day for Paul and Silas. But yet in the depths of that dungeon, in the depths of the worst part, they continued to keep themselves low. They didn't try to raise their own circumstances up. Oh, God, we were talking to people about you, man. Why in the world are we here? No, they begin to praise God. They begin to praise him in the depths of the uttermost, darkest situation. And what happened? There was a physical. God not only responded to their worship by encouraging them, he responded physically. 
their praise began to shake the jail, so much so that it caused an earthquake, and all of the, the, the chains on all the inmates there began to fall. The walls were open, and they could have gotten out. They could have run, but you know what? They stayed. The jailer came in and was about ready to kill himself because he figured they had a jailbreak, and he was going to have to answer to his superiors. And they're like, whoa, man, whoa. Hey, we're all still here. And what happened? They led that jailer to the Lord. In the midst of the worst circumstance imaginable, they kept themselves low, exalted God, and not only saw their salvation, but someone else came to know the Lord. Remember, when we're low, the only place we have to look is up. God heard their adoration. He heard their cries of devotion. He didn't just revel in their worship, right? That's the awesome thing about God. He doesn't just sit back, you know, kick his feet up on a, you know, on a lawn chair and, and ask the people who are fanning him with, with palm trees and grapes, yes, yes, sing more of my praises to me. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's wonderful. I'll get to you guys later. Yes, tell me more about myself. That's not what God does. God responded. God got up and he said, man, look at Paul. God. Man, look at Silas. That's my boys right there. Man, uh, I knew they weren't going to let me down. Let's shake things up a little bit. Let's shake things up a little bit. Oh, I can't wait till that jailer comes. Oh, look, look, look. Oh, 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 he's pulling out the sword. Oh, there goes Paul. Oh, that's what I'm talking about right there. Way to go, guys. God responded. God responded. He didn't just sit back and revel in the praises. He responded to their praises. And let that be an encouragement to us. When we worship God, when we keep ourselves low, whenever we lift him up, he is moved. And he's not just moved, but he moves on our behalf. Amen? For those who say that, Jesus, I am yours and you are mine. If I could say it this way, <coughs> excuse me, God not only seeks our true, complete worship, he responds to it. Amen? Let me close with this statement. Let's bow our heads. God, worship is more than our mouths releasing love songs in the good times. God, worship is more than our mouths releasing love songs in the good times. It's our lives releasing proclamations of adoration and devotion at all times. Lord God, I pray that as we continue to worship you with our lives, that it's not just about singing a beautiful song on a Sunday morning, though that's important. Lord, it's our life making a proclamation at all times, good or bad, because, Lord, you said, lo, I am with you, even to the ends of the earth. Your word is full of promises, God, promises that say you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. God, if we were to sit right now and pass this microphone around, I'm sure we would all have different testimonies of how God, keeping ourselves low and looking to you, saw us through difficult circumstances. And that's because you, Lord, are awesome and mighty and powerful. And Lord, we want our lives to continue to give you worship. We want our lives to continue to exalt you and to bless your holy name. 